Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But it's, it's notable that 80% of the overshoots over the target at that point is due to energy and tradable goods. No, interest rates should have been raised uh, a long time ago, and uh, the Bank of England has been too slow. Um, and now inflation is hitting double digits. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So how widespread is the idea that one person's debt is another person's credit and therefore it has no impact on the economy whatsoever? What are the implications of this thinking and what changes when there's the realisation that the banking sector is also involved creating money and so is the relative velocity of money in different hands and in different sectors of the economy? If we accepted that debt and credit don't always cancel each other out, how would that change the approach? of governments and the monetary policy of central banks. We look at that this week on the Debunking Economics podcast. So, uh, Steve, very simply, if I was to lend you money Mm. uh, and you were to spend it, that's not creating money. It's just passing money from one person to another. Money I have spent, or I could have spent, you're now spending. Yep. You're going to give it back to me at some point, uh, and then I can spend it, and you don't have that money to spend. So in that way, it's a very simple explanation of why many economists ignore debt, because they go, well, the money's still there. Who cares who's got it? It's still there in yep. circulation, because for every debtor, there's a the creditor, and it sort of mm. balances itself out. Mm. Uh, but you don't have to look too far to see why that is not the whole economy, because that would mean, wouldn't it, that mm. the supply of money the amount of money in circulation, is static. Yeah, yeah. Beyond- and yet it isn't. We can look at charts and we can see that the money supply is increasing all the time. So yeah. clearly, even though that's the way they believe the economy works, clearly even they must look at that and think, oh, there must be something else going on here. Yeah, and it, it just annoys the hell out of me that they don't do that and work through the consequences properly mm. because that is the case. I mean, you say, what what is money? How? And, and the fundamental definitions of, of money comes down to what's in bank accounts, plus cash in people's pockets. That's yeah. the, the simplest definition of the money supply is the sum of bank accounts plus cash. Now, we know governments are the only ones who are legally allowed to print cash. So if you have a, a cash, the only explanation in, in, in that model that they have initially is that the government creates cash. People take that cash and put that in bank accounts, and that's what causes the money supply to grow. But even that's, that's you know, dubious beyond belief. Well, I mean, even I mean, a lot of people would say yeah. that's that's not even the case. So no. uh, look at, uh, so here's a quote from yeah. a guy called Brian Riedel from the Heritage Foundation, which is a US right-wing think tank. Mm. This is in 2009, an interview with the, the National Review, mm. arguing that, you know, even when governments spend money, that's mm. that's not new money. It's almost like that that debt that, that being, being passed. Being somebody else. So yeah. the grand Keynesian myth, he says, is that when you, when you can spend money and thereby increase demand, that's the myth. And it's a myth because Congress, so it's the US, does not have a vault of money to distribute into the economy. Every dollar Congress injects into the economy 
first must be taxed or borrowed out of the economy. You're not creating new demand. You're just transferring it from one group to another. And that's, so, again, they're stuck with a no explanation for the growth in the money supply yeah, comes from. Exactly. And yet that is conventional thinking. That was, that's what Rishi Sunak will be thinking, for yeah, example, yeah, or every other, so, every other treasurer. It's is so that, damn frustrating because they mm. haven't, as you're saying, they haven't said, and said, well, what, how do you actually... How do you create money? Mm. What are the mechanisms for money creation? And so they come up with all these myths. And the myths, what the myths actually do in terms of how economists think about money, I mean, they don't think about money. Mm. They leave it as so they say, oh, yeah, well, you know, somebody asks one person's assets, another person's liability. Uh, and like Bernanke, recent winner of the Nobel Effing Prize in Economics, in his the paper after he, the, the, he's got two papers, which uh, one paper which got cited that was what they gave him the Nobel Prize for. Paper wrote straight after that. Um, he said that Irving Fisher's explanation of the Great Depression, the, the deflation explanation, was less influential in academic circles and influenced the Prime Minister, the President Roosevelt, but not the academic, because of the counter argument that debt deflation is no more than a redistribution from one group. De- debtors to another group, creditors, absent and plausibly large differences in marginal propensities to spend between the groups, it was suggested, uh, there would be uh, pure redistributions would have no macroeconomic effect. So, okay. Exactly so, the stuff you were saying a moment ago, but you know it's garbage and he believes it. Right. So if you were to say, if, I, if, if Ben Bernanke was sitting here and I was interviewing him mm-hmm. and I said, okay, Ben, how is the money supply increasing then? What would his answer be to that? He'd come back to changes in the stock of gold. Because if you take the, the stuff that he got the Nobel Prize for involves an equation which splits. Uh, it's, it's, it's a ratio equation. So you say GDP uh, is equal to uh, uh, you know, turnover of money divided by money divided by money, divided by, by gold, et cetera, et cetera, and you get four equations, and one of them is a ratio of... Uh, What's gold got to do with it now? Well, it's a reserve asset, you see. So if the amount of gold that's held in central banks rises, they've got more reserves, and that's what they call the money multiplier process. That's their ultimate explanation for an increase in the money supply, increase in the amount of gold. So in, in that sense, the, the, the primitive, the, if you look at the... Uh, if you, but how are they getting that gold? Huh? How are they, that's... People are digging it up, you know. It's, it's... Well, and then they just take it straight to their local central bank. Local central bank, yeah, you know. <laughs> you, you've, you've taken a shovel. You've taken a, a wheelbarrow. So the only, the way, it's, bank the only, way, the only yeah. way it's going to get into those reserves is for them to have bought that gold with money that's sitting in their reserves. Oh, but, and yeah. the only way that money will have got into those reserves is by people putting money into the bank. And at this point, we bank. feel like we're actually on a Friday night getting stoned and having a conversation <laughs> over too many beers rather than... But no, just following through that logic, Ben, I'm just imagining logic. Ben is... I know, so Ben's sitting. You're Ben yeah, for the yeah, moment, right? Yeah. So just to, let's go through this process, Ben. So you've got more gold. So that mm. gold has got into reserves because you've bought that gold mm. with money that sits in the reserves. That money went into the reserves because people put that money into your bank. Mm. Which is the cash, which you're the saying is have not increased. Yeah, the reserves have been, but it, because of the change in reserves, of course, a change in the money supply, and a factor of ten. So if you look at, if you go back and look mm. at, um, at um, what's his name? Is it uh, Hang on, there's Obama? A big, there's a big leap there. How do we get from uh, me putting the putting the money into you getting because a of the money multiplies? See, the bank, banks are required to hold reserves. Oh, so they lend out. They more. lend out reserves. Right. Okay. Okay. So this this is if you if you well I mean, they are. So there we are. We are now getting to the correct. But isn't that what we were saying? The money is. Because money is created by banks. 
Yeah, but the thing is, they've got the creation mechanism completely wrong. Right. Okay. They think reserves playing a central role in the money creation. Yeah. And that's 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 so. If they do have an explanation, it's an increase in reserves right. cause an increase in okay. the money supply. But there's a, is, there is agreement though from Ben Bernanke and mm. others that that money supply is increasing because it's being created by bank lending. Yeah, yeah, but the, the bank it's lending... It's just the question of how much yeah, the and bank, how... Yeah, bank lending has to be triggered in their model by an increase in reserves. So yeah. you have, let's say reserves go up by a, 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 you know, a, a billion dollars, and they said that will create $10 billion worth of money. That's yeah. their explanation of what goes on. So the idea is you get reserves, you lend them out. Yeah. Somebody else then takes those and deposits them at another bank, and they lend them out, et cetera, because you get a chain reaction. Now... When you model in a, a sensible modeling software package, like for example Minsky, mm. okay, yep. you find that the only way I was going to say other modeling packages are available. I'm not really quite sure. When... <laughs> there are others, but <laughs> none, none do it as easily as Minsky on this front. But when you look at it, the only way that that reserves create deposits mechanism works is if all loans are in cash. Mm. Okay, so if you go to a bank and you, as I want to borrow a million pounds to go and buy this place in Surrey, then they will give you. 10,100 pound notes and you walk out the door and then you deposit those 10,100 pound notes in the bank account of the person you're buying the home from, then that mechanism will and cause an increase in deposits from an increase in reserves. Now, when's the last time you got, when you got a bank loan and you got cash? Mm. Never, okay? It yeah. doesn't happen anymore. It used to happen a bit in the 19th century, so in, in some sense it's describing a 19th century mechanism. So but it's these, all in the bank finance system, it, basically. All the, you know, you get a, when you get a, a loan these days, the bank says, that's a great idea to buy that post for a million uh, pounds in, sorry, Phil, here's a million pounds in your bank account deposit, and by the way, you owe us a million dollars. Yeah. So your your assets rise. because Pounds. That's what it, but yeah, put a million pounds in, but your liabilities rise by precisely the same yeah. amount. Okay? Yeah. Now that is that, that's how banks create money, and that's why when you look at the uh, the, the balance sheets of a of a commercial bank, mm. you'll see that the ratio of the amount of money which is there in deposits and the amount mm. of money which is being borrowed out is is pretty similar. And Reasonable. So the, the, I mean, the money gets distributed all through the system. So the, the, yeah. easy, the easiest way to the, the the strict simplest way to work out how much credit money is being created is change in debt. Mm. Okay? So the change in debt, dollar for dollar, is the equivalent to uh, creation of money by the banking sector. So banks create money by lending out more than they get back in repayments, and governments create money by spending more than they get back in taxation. And those, those are the two simple mechanisms. And the, the, the way that my Minsky software makes it obvious to you, unless you're a, a pardon me, I was had a few fights with a Canadian recently that annoy me on this front. But the essential thing about uh, why debt matters and why credit is part of aggregate demand is that if you have you and me doing an interpersonal lending, your lending power goes, spending power goes down, mine goes up. I repay you, yours goes up, mine goes down. They do balance each other out. Mm. But if you go to a bank and borrow money, let's say you know you want to pay me for whatever reason, uh, you know, you know buy, buy my place in Amsterdam off me, okay? Mm. Um, then you get a loan from the bank, which gives you an additional million pounds, okay? And you spend that million pounds on me. So you have additional spending power. Your uh, expenditure rises. My income rises by precisely the same amount. 
So credit adds to aggregate demand and aggregate income, but only in a world in which banks create money when they make make a loan. Right, and only for the time that that, that, that loan exists. I've got to pay that loan back, of course, so, yeah, but so it gets like, destroyed you, know, you, you, you pay it back when somebody else takes a loan out. It's the aggregate value, value that matters. So if mm. the aggregate level of lending exceeds the aggregate value of repayments, then that is creating money. So, um, which is a which is a very different ball game to the one where we ignore debt because yeah, debt totally is, different. And 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 what is the impact? Because debt is increasing because the money supply is increasing all the time. So mm. the aggregate amount of debt must be increasing yeah. all the time for that to happen. Doesn't it? And if we saw the money supply start to dwindle, the only reason that would be happening is because more of us were paying our debts back. And that's well, there's you know, the two the two the two fundamental causes. I'm leaving out the international stuff because that just gets. That More complicated. Other fights I don't want to get into right now. Yeah. Uh, but like, if you look at the domestic money creation and the two sources, the government's spending more than they get back in taxation, and banks lending back back more than they get in deposits, and they can go on indefinitely in the sense of the economy itself is growing as well. Then your ratio of debt to GDP can remain relatively constant while debt is rising, private sector debt is rising, and while the government's running a deficit. So the money creation mechanism is absolutely essential. And the point about why does it it differ from interpersonal loans, interpersonal loan transfers money from one liability of the banking sector to another liability of the banking sector. Mm. Your bank account goes down, mine goes up. Okay. So there's no there's no creation there's no change in the assets of the bank. Yeah. There's no creation of money. For that operation of a transfer from a debtor to a creditor to create money, the operation has to occur on both the asset side and the liability side of the banking sector's ledger. So for a personal loan, your deposit account rises, which is your asset and the bank's liability. Your debt rises, your liability the bank's asset. Okay. And there's, so the operations occur on both the asset and the liability stroke equity side of the bank. For government spending, the if the government spends more than it takes back in taxation, your deposit account rises, and that's on the liability side of the banking sector. The asset side, the reserves rise. So government spending creates reserves yeah. as well as creating money. So, I mean, that all does get quite complicated without having a diagram to explain it. But, but, yeah. in, but in a nutshell, it's, yes, the government, the government is in effect creating the money that it's, that it's lending out to you. And it's, and it's, it's, uh, it's the, the an, bank's and, creating money, it's lending out to you. The yeah. government's creating money, it's giving to you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So it's a, in a way, it's a similar situation. It's just whether it's the bank or the government. And it's there for as long as that debt is there and is not being repaid, which in the case of the government, of course, it, I mean, that is never repaid. Paid. If the government is giving you money, it's because you are a supplier to the government, for example, yeah. making something, and so you're you, you're not going to pay that back, or mm. it's a welfare payment, for example. And yeah. so, yeah. so, uh, so that in a way, uh, when the government is is creating money, it's there for keeps until it decides it's going to tax it back or yeah. something like that. Mm. Whereas uh, with with banks, it's a temporary situation. But yeah. do we know? What, who's creating most? Is it the government or is it the banks? The banks What's, are creating most of it. Okay, right. which you, by a large magnitude? By a large margin. I mean, right. uh, people often say, well, the difference is the, uh, they, they, they will often ascribe government, government money creation only to uh, printing of notes, mm. which is quite wrong. It's, it's the deficit. But what can neutralize the government deficit is that when the government um, um, runs a deficit, it puts money in people's deposit accounts and it increases the reserve balance of the banks. Now, then what the government, what the banks will do, 
the Treasury will sell bonds to the banks and the banks buy that with the reserves that have been created by the deficit. There are time lags involved and there are projections and, and stuff like that. But like in the case of the UK at the moment, I think the amount of reserves that banks have is two or three times the deficit, annual deficit. Right. The bonds are being sold on a weekly basis, so even more rapidly than that. Um, you know, you, you, each time you buy, you, the, gov- the, the, the banks buy bonds in the aggregate sense, they're using one fiftieth of the outstanding reserves to reach. They've got plenty of capacity, but that reserves have been created by previous government spending. So you you have uh, so the reserve the, the buying of the bonds is is a, is a technical issue. Uh, it doesn't actually affect the government money creation. What it means is that the government's account at the central bank doesn't go negative. That's what the bonds do. Are, they don't help actually create the money. That's are the there deficit. any economists who actually do believe that we can totally ignore debt because it is just one man's credit? Oh, the whole the neoclassical world. I mean, but they accept the fact that the money supply is increasing because, it, I mean, you can argue about you know the mechanics of it, but there's this acceptance, isn't there, that banks are creating money through no, lending. No, the reserve. This is why it's so bloody frustrating to to to, to know how this stuff works and see how the economics profession behaves, because uh, the, the the fundamental truth, and the Bank of England came out and said this in 2014, the Bundesbank in 2017, banks create money by making loans. Yeah. So there is the, the, the real world. And is, central banks obviously do believe that because they believe they're controlling that by interest rates. Isn't uh, that what monetary policy is all about, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, monetary it, policy they, is they about, they, it's they, called they, monetary policy because it's about controlling the supply of money. No, and it's, they actually, believe- it's actually about controlling the desire to invest. Right. Okay, they, 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 they abstract from the financial sector. Their models don't include the bank's sec. Their models don't include the money supply. You know, it's 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 all about interest rates affecting expectations of future profit. Um, so they they don't actually understand it. So and central banks do not think that they are influential in the supply of it's, money. It's, central banks themselves are weird creatures because you'll have the research office will be staffed largely by neoclassical economists who build these. DSG, dynamic stochastic general equilibrium models all the time. Sometimes there'll be renegades inside there who actually understand the monetary system and do other stuff. Then you have the monetary policy committee sitting on top of that, which is, again, half a bunch of of, uh, executives from major corporations and half other neoclassical economists who don't necessarily have a clue. So the central banks themselves are a confusing institution to look at. But fundamentally, um, the the, the real world, let's get the real world, is the bank's... Banks create money by creating loans. That means the recipient doesn't get an increase in their net assets. They get more cash, which they can spend, mm. but they've got the liability of the of the debt as well. So there's no changing your net worth out of borrowing money from a bank. If the government spends, as you were saying earlier, the government puts money in your bank account and doesn't ask for anything in the balance. You get an asset with no matching liability for yourself. Okay, The matching liability is the government's own liability. Mm. So the government's liabilities rise when they put money in your bank accounts. You come out ahead, the government comes out negative. The thing is, you can't cope with being a negative equity. But the government can. Okay? So it's, it's, the, the government creates money by getting into negative equity. The banks create money by pushing up their assets as much as they push up their liabilities. So those are your two mechanisms. Right. And I know this is a can of worms before we take a break. So yeah. a quick answer to it. Most people would say uh, conventional economists and probably central bankers and government uh, ministers as well would say, well, we're not really uh, – you know, when we, when we create money, we're actually issuing bonds – We've got to pay that back. Yeah, that's 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 the mistake they make. Mm. Okay, that's they don't have to pay the bonds back, and if they did, they'd destroy the money supply. Right. Look, 
there's a lot in this, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, including, you know, this confusion between creating money and making money. Yeah, exactly. And that's a huge about the speed of, of money. So we'll, we'll talk about that when we come back. It's the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Back in just a second. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So, Steve, uh, if you were to talk to a businessman, and I've had this conversation many a time, yeah. people would say, uh, you know, if you say, well, you know, there's only a limited amount of money, uh, it can go at different speeds, and money is created. When it is created, it's created by banks or by governments. Mm. Business people would say, no, no, mate, I make money. Exactly. Uh, and, and if you did more, make money... Uh, and the more yeah. I employ people, the more that's helping the economy along, so I'm boosting. So I'm actually responsible for boosting the money supply. Yeah. And they are convinced on this. What they're, in, what they're involved is, is boosting how fast the money supply turns exactly. it's the over. the velocity of money. Absolutely. Velocity of money. It's yeah. not the creation of money. And this is a huge mistake people make. So there's so many times there's like a mental shortcut will come out of people's own lives. Like, I make money. Like, mm. I made a profit last year. Yeah. Okay? My, my costs, I spent, you know, 10, 10 million last year and I made 11. So I made a million. Yeah. Okay? The thing is, your profit was a million. You did not create a million dollars in new money. If you did, let me know your address and I'll tell the police to come along and arrest you for counterfeiting. You you yeah. had a great example in this podcast in the early days, I think. So yeah. This is probably a couple of years ago now because we've been doing this for so many years, Steve. <laughs> uh, and it was the one about an American visitor who was in Italy. I don't know if you remember telling this story. Oh, yeah, the money of the... And he goes into a hotel, checks into a hotel. Hands and the money in. Hands the money to the, to the guy at the checkout and he goes and uses it to... Uh, this just shows how your mind works. He went pays straight the to prostitute. the prostitute. Yeah. prostitute. The prostitute <laughs> uses the money to pay for a rent. Uh, the landlord uses it to, I don't know, go shopping or whatever. The shop owner yeah. then uses that money. Uh, and so that many times over that money has been, that same amount of money has been spent just by that one injection because it all and happened And then bang, the guy wants the money back again, but the velocity of money was peaked at that time and a whole lot of uh, you know transactions yeah. were cancelled. So yeah, yeah that's the, we confuse the turnover of money with the creation of money. Mm. And that's a huge error, in, not just in... In economics, is how people think as well. It's, it, and I can see why it's seductive. I mean, I, I made a million dollars last yeah. year. You know, yeah. um, so you you, you identify making a million dollars in profit, which is money, a turnover of money, dollars per year. You mistake that for creating a stock of money, which is dollars. So if we are we, if we had more money traveling faster, if we had a faster velocity of money, mm. then that would mean there'd be less need for 
the creation of money, less yeah, need for yeah. the government, the for velocity, example, to step yeah, in because you, the economy would be in a healthier place. Yeah, and, and that's partly why it's such a frustration to watch governments thinking, oh, we, you know, we, we've, we can't create too much money. We, we can't spend too much because that when we've got to borrow the money. Okay? Mm. Now, this, this is a huge mistake. And Richard, um, oh, which was Richard's last name, but uh, one of the, the, the best uh, po- uh, podcasters, uh, bloggers on, on money, Richard M- Murphy, Mm-hmm. Okay. He was making that point today that uh, we mistake the turnover of money for the creation of money. Yeah. Now, if you had the government creating more money, then there's less need for you to go and borrow yeah. money. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. So there, there a high level of – and if you look back in the 50s and 60s, um, there was a high level of consumer demand, a high level of investment demand, often financed by the fact there was a large amount of government money creation – the money existed there to be turned over so you could actually do it out of cash flow. Whereas when you don't have the government creating that money, you've got to do it by borrowing. Yeah. And then what you get is when you borrow money, you don't come out ahead. If you borrow like a million dollars to buy that place in Surrey, um, then you've, you've no change in your net worth. What you then hope is the price the place in Surrey is going to increase in price. Mm. Now, what causes the increase in price in Surrey? It's the rate of change of borrowing. Mm. So we get caught in this circular you know, trap where we're hoping inflating asset prices will mean we come out ahead, but the inflation is actually caused by the whole lending process. So it's it's again destined to crash at some point. But fundamentally, the it, money is incredibly important, and the reason it's incredibly important comes back to the fact that in a in a the real world in which we live, where banks create money by loans, then the a creation of the loan actually adds to aggregate demand. And this took me a long time to work out. I had to fight with my own post-Keynesians over the idea. But the way I explained it, maybe we've we done the break yet? I keep on getting lost. Yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're into <laughs> okay. part two, yeah. don't we? I, I, I got challenged. I, I, if I go back quite a bit in time, my reason for being focused on the level of private debt comes out of being influenced by Hyman Minsky back in the 80s when I was doing my, my master's thesis. And I read uh, his John Maynard Keynes, and it was the first explanation for the state of capitalism that actually made overall sense to me. Because he said that the, 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 the real tendency in capitalism is for boom. The turning uh, euphoric expectations into a credit-based boom is the fundamental instability of a capitalist economy. So most critics talk about economy having a tendency to depression, you know, stagnation, um, real, all this stuff you find in a lot of Marxist writing. Minsky instead said the tendency to a boom, which is debt finance, then causing a crash. That's what really influenced me. So Michael Hudson and I were real out, outliers even inside the post-Keynesian community on this front. And one time I was in New York and Michael visited me. We're having a, you know, chatting through my, my work and his in my hotel room. And he said to me, uh, uh, what is aggregate demand? And I said, it's income plus change in debt. And he said, why can't other people see that? Okay. So that was our position. Now, we were criticized by post-Keynesians because the mm. argument goes that expenditure is income. So if GDP is expenditure, it's also income, and change of debt has no role. So I got involved in a debate over this with them. This is, I mean, but this is the land of the bleeding obvious, isn't it? Because can, everyone can put that into their own mind. So I just think of, for example, I earn so much per month. Mm. varies a, a little bit but generally it's it's yeah. more or less the same amount mm. uh we're, we're going to uh we're going to america next year yeah uh, i needed to buy the air tickets i found mm. this uh, i could get a loan quite cheap right now mm. so i bought the tickets with the loan yeah so so my, my, my spending this month is my income plus, plus your change in debt. debt at the personal level now how does it work at the aggregate level 
Okay. Yeah, multiply it out by everyone doing the same thing. Well, the thing that's that's not, so when I got challenged over this point by one of the people in the debate in the review of Keynesian economics, Brett Feiberger. Oh, well, you see, actually, the contrary argument to that would be somebody saying, well, where are you borrowing that, that extra money yeah, that's from? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Now, that's why the bank's creating the money. It was from so, a bank. Huh? Yeah, it was it's from a bank. It's got to so. be from a bank. So if I borrow, if, if, if I bet what I call a more table in honor of Basil Moore. Mm. But see, if you, you have expenditure on the horizontal and income on the vertical, imagine you've got a three-sector economy, uh, manu, uh, you know, manufacturing, services, households, okay? Mm-hmm break it into three sectors. Uh, then households will be spending on manufacturing and services. Manufacturing is spending on services and households, et cetera, yep. et cetera. And you do a little array of that. So if I spend that's a negative on my account and it's a positive on the other two and the row sums to zero, each of the ways down. So ex- household expenditure, a negative on, if you have households on the horizontal, households on the vertical, three by three matrix. So the diagonals are all going to be negative numbers and the off diagonals will be positive and the sum of each row is zero, okay? mm-hmm. necessarily. Okay? Yep. That's your that's a more table. So now you look at, if, if, if I borrow from services, then services gets a negative on, on its horizontal, on, on the horizontal, I get a positive for the money transfer. And the reason they're doing it is I'm going to pay interest to them. Mm -hmm. So what you get is a a negative on the diagonal and a positive on the diagonal. They cancel out. When you look at me spending that money, so I then spend that money on the manufacturing services. So I borrow from services and households then spend more on manufacturing. I get a negative on my horizontal and a positive as well, they cancel out. So credit disappears. The one thing that turns up as additional there is interest payments are part of aggregate demand and aggregate income. So that's in the world where individual into individual or sector lends to sector. When you put the banking sector in, you get a fourth array. And the banking sector creates money by, on its asset side, Money is the liability side of the banking sector. So what happens, the bank puts a positive entry saying, here's credit dollars per year I'm adding to households. That credit dollars per year turns up as a, a negative on your on your diagonal, but there's no offsetting positive on the diagonal. Right. Okay? And equally on the on the horizontal array, you get a, a you, you don't get the cancellation of credit. So credit turns up as part of aggregate demand and aggregate income. And therefore credit hmm. has to be included to analyze aggregate demand and aggregate income at the level of the entire economy. And it's always in- incredibly complicated trying to explain a graph. I know, I could do it if we had a visual but, here. But, yeah. but, if, but if, I mean, if, if I, you know, if, if a bank wasn't involved and I was just lending money to you and mm. I was then charging you interest, it makes it still makes no difference to the aggregate amount of money, obviously, because it's just that you're paying me back more than yeah. you lent. But when, uh, I, when, but when, when you go to a bank, the bank creates money by having lending exceeding repayment and destroys it when repayment exceeds lending. Yeah. And that's the essential element. So the endogeneity of money is absolutely crucial to understanding capitalism. That's why I got so bloody annoyed to see Bernanke mm. given this. And they, in, the, in, in the, the paper talk about financial intermediaries, banks as intermediaries, banks enabling Phil to lend to Steve and vice versa, yeah. which is completely... Not what they're doing. Not no. what they do. It's but, if, but there world. are non-financial institutions like pension funds, for example, yeah. which are playing that part of intermediaries, aren't they? Yeah, and, they are. They are up, yeah. And they are... So that is like peer-to-peer lending, but, but it's slowing the speed of money down. Well, then also mind. importantly, this is one thing we haven't covered so far in the discussion, is that when when the tr- when the Treasury sells bonds, first of all, they're sold to both banks and primary dealers in the American system. And 
you those are institutions that have accounts at the central bank. So yep. they transfer to actually buy the bonds. They're transferring from their central bank accounts to the government's treasury central bank account. Okay, so that's what's going on at that level. But once the banks have the bonds, they then sell the bonds on the secondary market. Now, if a bank sells a bond to a pension fund, the way the trail actually occurs is the pension fund's bank account goes down and the bank's holdings of bonds go down by the same amount. So the sale of the bonds to the um, non-bank financial institution destroys money. Mm. So the aggregate amount of money created by the bank, by the government deficit, is not the deficit. It's the deficit minus net bond sales by the banking sector. And so I, if I wanted to have more government money creation and get away from this trap of being... Too much, having too much credit money, I would be controlling how much banks can actually sell of the bonds they get. I wouldn't let them sell if that's destroying the amount of money in circulation more than I wanted it to be destroyed. So the aggregate level of money creation is predominantly the private sector because the private sector, when it the, when the creates the debt, it creates the asset. Uh, it creates the debt, creates the liability, which for itself, creating an asset for us, that's the predominant source of money creation, unfortunately. Government would be creating a lot more money if the deficit wasn't financed by bonds, which the banks then sold to non-bank financial institutions. How much peer-to-peer lending is there? Not a lot. Not a lot. I mean, and it would be better, wouldn't it, if there was more? And because not it could, necessarily, but it couldn't. Couldn't it actually help with the the speed of money? So if I've got, say, I've mm. got five thousand pounds sitting in my bank account, mm. I don't know what to do with it this month. Mm. And you go, God, Phil, if I had £5,000, I'd be using it to spend on whatever it might be, whatever mm. sordid thing you do in your spare time. But it, it, it's, and, and that would be then helping the speed of money within the economy. And then you pay it back and it's, I, you spend that money. I wouldn't have spent it. I get it back and I might use it the next it month. Changed the, it's a trivial change of the velocity of money. I mean, the main Would it be trivial there? I mean, if, if it was, if it was the, if the, if the conventional wisdom was, if you've got, and this becomes more possible with technology, doesn't it? If you've got mm. money that's sitting around for a month or two, mm. however much you get a low rate of interest, but you just pass it to somebody quickly who can mm. spend it quickly, and then you get it back again, and then you, you know, by the time you need it, then that, that whole process of peer-to-peer lending could yeah. speed up the the, the economy. Could it? Yeah, but in terms of versus peer-to-peer versus bank money creation and government creation through running right. a deficit, it, it's trivial. Right, it, it's worthwhile. Okay, it's but it's less problematic. Well. But what I was going to say isn't it more dangerous? The guys going to say isn't it less problematic in that in that if governments are well, let's forget about governments for the moment. If if banks are creating money and they're doing it because times are good. So they're lending a great deal. They're and creating then, a bubble. They, yeah. Then they're creating that bubble. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like in, in that sense, peer-to-peer doesn't create the bubble effect. Yeah. Okay. So in that sense, it's less dangerous. Uh, it's also less less impact. Like government, private money creation can be enormous. So my, my favorite example is actually Spain during the um, – 2000-2007 uh, period because Spain was getting all the accolades for being the only country in Europe that actually abided by the Maastricht Treaty. I think its government debt level from, from 60% of GDP to 30% uh, between 2000 and 2007. But at the same time, its private debt went from 120% to 240% of GDP. And in the last year of the boom there, the annual change in debt credit in the, was 40% of GDP. Mm. It went from plus 40 to minus 20 that's why the, 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 the crisis is so extreme in Spain. So it's more dangerous to have an increase in 
bank money creation than peer-to-peer. You wouldn't get the same volume in a peer-to-peer system. So I, I can understand why a lot of people want to abolish private money creation by banks uh, because that is a huge source of instability in capitalism. But at the same time, I wonder... Well, the economy would move slower. Well, this is the thing, yeah. I mean, uh, again, Richard Vague's work here is really very, very useful because Richard also explains that that, that the the money creation that did occur uh, led to the creation of enormous numbers of physical assets overvalued and there were financial crises caused by it. So all all the train lines in the UK which are still, I must say, it's great to see they're maintained in the same antique state they were built in the 19th century. That's really <laughs> nice. Traveling at the same similar speeds. Yeah, similar yeah. speed and similar similar design of carriages. Mm. Um, but Same but, people working on them. Close. Um, but, yeah, so that, that's, uh, that creativity would not necessarily have happened in a world where we had peer-to-peer lending. Because you just have to wait for so a long. A lot longer. And the scale wouldn't mm. be the same. And we, 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 we get a physical benefit out of these resources being created at the speed in which they can. But we are system. also chewing up too many resources as well. And that's so the there's other a, problem. There's, there's yeah. a happy medium, isn't there? Yeah. Maybe, maybe does that mean we have to limit the amount of bank And lending? I think we're, that we're approaching the world where that's going to be vital because I can't see the private financial system being profitable mm. uh, when we go into an ecological crisis and have to reduce the scale of the economy. And then we do sort of get in more into peer-to-peer lending. Yeah. So and, and or, or we get to the stage where it's you know, government money creation mm. uh, is the only way to enable the resources to be purchased. Okay. We're almost at a point to finish off. Just one question, just out of, out of curiosity. What happens if I go to, a, uh, go to a bank to borrow some money and I am a, um, and, and my debt turns bad? So what happens? So they have created money to lend to me. I've used it to uh, build something that's never finished or it goes up in a puff so when you borrow from a bank. Yeah, when okay. I borrow from a bank. Okay. Well, and well, I then, can't pay that money back to the government. Okay. To, what, to the bank, sorry. The money gets destroyed. and it's yeah. also, Because what happens, first of all, the banks have... You know, there's, a, there's, there's normal loan accounts where bank loans are being serviced. There's un- underperforming loans where there's a delay in getting servicing. And there's bad loans where the loans have simply failed completely. Right. So ultimately, if there's a bad loan, the bank has to take a hit on that on its equity side. And that's why a, a downturn is so dangerous because when a whole lot of other bands... Because it's on its equity side, that is real money. That's real money, okay. Yeah. So the, the, the bank has to have positive equity. Yeah. And this is this is an absolutely essential point for thinking about... Uh, so, that, so it gets destroyed because that's equity. So a, a, a real a shareholder basically has paid real money yeah. for staking that bank. The bank comes back and says, well, we can't, you know... Or the share falls in value, value or, or whatever. Or, you know. in, so, in some way, the shareholder loses out yeah, the money that they yeah. paid. So, so the, the, the banks have equity buffers for that. That's. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, when you have a systemic... Like a, in a normal course of business, a certain percentage of loans are going to go bad. Mm. And you allow that as part of your cost of business. That's part of your cost of running a banking a banking corporation is knowing you're going to have some loans that go sour. You must make provisions for it. You must be able to absorb that on the on the balance sheet. The systemic thing happens when there's been a euphoric bubble, the whole Minsky Minsky moment stuff. We then reach the turning point we spoke about in a recent a recent podcast. Suddenly, a whole lot of loans can't be serviced. They all go bad, and the equities of the banking sector can go negative very quickly. And then the system breaks down. Again, my favourite quote from that it comes from Paulson's on the brink, Hank Paulson, when he was U.S. Treasury, and he was, he was in ex Goldman Sachs, I think it was rung up by the person running Goldman Sachs, said, you've got to do something. We're, we're serious in trouble. He said, well, how long have you got? And he said, about three hours. Mm. And what was happening is the value of the assets they had, this is the, the non-bank financial institution, which can have shares and stuff on their portfolio. They were plunging in value. The liabilities were remaining much the same. They were rapidly approaching the point where there'd be negative equity and therefore bankrupt. 
Yeah. So that's that's the real danger. So on an ordinary basis, with you know, with, with in a sort of moderate period of the trade cycle, most of those loans that fail are caught within the provisions that each individual bank has, and you don't have a systemic event. When you get a euphoric boom like we had in 2007, and then the crash on the other side, it goes negative for everybody, and the banking system can break down. So um, the instability in all of this is the banking sector. Yep. So, <laughs> so can't we just fix that? And if, and and if it is, and it is all based around this idea that the banks are creating money that mm. they don't really have that they have created. You, you've got to you've got to keep they, an eye. You've got to be, be, the point that I've been focusing it's, on. It's based on. Let me just finish the point. It's based on banks doing something that a lot of economists don't even recognise is happening. Exactly, and that's why mm. we had these crises because Minsky recognised this. Minsky said that you know you've got to. You, you can't have too high a level of private debt. You can't have too level of, high a level of credit mm. or you'll have booms and, and crashes. So mm. his idea was you have to limit the extent to which banks will lend. You have to keep an idea in the private debt to, bank to GDP ratio and the ratio of the change in private debt to GDP as well. They've got to be essential elements of how you think about managing the economy. They're not even on the blotting paper mm. of neoclassical economists and they're the ones in charge. Right. Okay. We'll leave it there. If I do say so myself, fantastic first question to throw back at somebody. When somebody says to you, oh, yes, one person's debt is another person's credit, mm. the answer to that is, okay, why is the money supply increasing? Why yeah. is the money supply Where not does it flat? come from? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we've answered that today. Thank goodness. Uh, we'll catch you again soon. Good to talk, Steve. Indeed. The Debunking Economics Podcast. 